listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, serving the latest news in sci-fi multimedia. And now your hosts, Scott and Miles. Your table is ready. We've long and This is the capital. We have a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. I got a bad feeling about this. Walter, put the cow away, would you? What is this place? It's a freak show. Welcome to Sci-Fi Diner Conversations. This is episode 83. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. And tonight we are here in this conversation show to talk about what you, the listeners, have called in about, what some of you have written to us about, and what some people are saying on our Facebook page. This show, if you've never tuned in before, this is your very first episode, is not spoiler-free. We will spoil things in this show. We promise to. And it is going to be some great conversations, some great food here at the diner tonight. Welcome to the show. Miles, how in the heck are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I just uh, recently watched the uh, Dread movie. It was out last summer, but uh, some ketchup. Dread. So if you haven't seen Dread, um, much better than Stallone, Stallone movie. I, I think it is, and if you're uh, you're more of a purist, it, it definitely sticks more to the comic book uh, genre there. And also, you get to see Doctor McCoy in it. Come on, Doctor McCoy, take out the bad guys. Right, 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 right. Uh, and uh, the 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 DC animated uh, movie uh, Superman Unbound. We talked about that a few months ago, but uh, what was noteworthy about that was that uh, John Noble was voicing Brainiac. Walter Bishop was in the, in the movie, and so I thought he, I thought the Brainiac character was a lot more interesting in this than I've seen in in other things. Uh, so I enjoyed it a lot. If you haven't seen Superman Unbound, I, I, I certainly encourage you to check it out. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have not, but I will. I have seen Dread, but not that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, as far as reading goes, you're reading anything? Yeah, I'm still reading um, the uh, tie-in novel, Star Trek Into Darkness. Oh, very good. Mm-hmm. I I finished uh, the, the speculative fiction piece that I mentioned the last time, Life After Life, um, which is more of a fantasy base about this lady that keeps reliving her life. Mm-hmm. And um, it doesn't really end. She doesn't get out of it. She continues to relive her life as far as we know. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an interesting look at family. Um, it's not really science fiction, but it's definitely speculative fiction as far as the way it's written. And currently I'm reading uh, Terry Brooks' uh, Jakarus, which I have read before, and I'm reading it again because the current uh, novel line that he's currently writing plays right into that, so I'm doing some backstory research, I guess you could say, uh, about that book. I have watched a ton of movies, Miles. Yeah. I watched Ghost Rider and the second one, and couldn't finish it. It was so terrible. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, And I enjoyed the first one. I know not everyone did, but I enjoyed the first one. Uh, And 
it just didn't. I got a half. I got a half hour into. It, I said I cannot make myself watch this anymore, mm-hmm. and so I did not finish it. So, listeners, if you like Ghost Rider, uh, it was uh, whatever it is, Rise of Vengeance, Vengeance. I don't even remember the title. I hated it so much. <laughs> but the Ghost Rider two, and you liked it. Please tell me why I should finish this movie because I did not finish it. Uh, it was absolutely terrible in my book. I don't often give up on movies like that. One movie I did not give up on, and I kind of am glad I'm not. Is Babylon AD with. Um, Oh, Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. Mm-hmm. I love Vin Diesel most of what he does, and he's classic Diesel here. Um, and some interesting stuff they're doing with tech. It's kind of fun, and I, you know, it was it was a good it was a good ride, mm-hmm. good ride. But um, it was an interesting twist at the end. But you know, not the greatest movie, but well worth watching. Mm-hmm. And a movie that I was pleasantly surprised about was Snow White and the Huntsman. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, with some great, great characters, some great development, uh, a twist in the old fairy tale of Snow White and the evil queen, her mother, and mm-hmm. uh, trying to vanquish his foe. Um, well worth seeing on DVD. Mm-hmm. Definitely glad I didn't see it in the theater, but well worth seeing. Okay. So, um, so uh, we can talk about some other TV shows we're watching a little bit later sure, on. Sure. Why don't we get into uh, some people's talking about Stid? Yes, Stid. Yeah, so Stid, you know, Star Trek Into Darkness. Mm-hmm. So we had some people call in about that. And um, let's start with Tom, uh, who called in. And this is the first time we've had Tom call in, I believe. And he's talking about our Star Trek Into Darkness review and also about how M ranks as being one of his top geek girls. Oh. Ooh, so this is plugs for you. Plugs for you, Em. But let me go ahead and play uh, what Tom had to say. So, Tom, thank you for calling in. And here's what Tom had to say. Hello, guys and gal. Um, this is Tom uh, running my standard twice-a-day 80-mile commute uh, from Stockbridge, Georgia, to Warner Robins, Georgia. And... Uh, what else to do on long commutes but listen to awesome podcasts. Uh, just yesterday, listened to uh, your review of Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, for the most part, I'm, I'm with the majority of you guys. Um, in essence, I enjoyed the movie, but it didn't hold a lot of suspense for me. I mean, I, I felt like they showed the knife several knives several times, and it you know, left it to where things went together in pretty logical fashion, fashion. but, you know, not a lot of surprises. Um, separate from that, I'm kind of also of the camp that, you know, you don't need to copy something to, to pay homage to it. There's other ways to do it other than to actually repeat that dialogue between Kirk and Spock and all these Switch characters. And just for that, that was, that missed the mark for me. And then further to that, shoot, between Space Seed, Rapicon, um, Nemesis, and In the Darkness, haven't we had enough con stories? And, you know, I'm surprised no one said Nemesis was pretty much a ripoff on con, especially the way it played out. So, that said, I enjoyed hearing everyone's commentary and especially enjoyed uh, everyone's uh, knowledge of the universe and to, 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 to dissect and, and make value of the review. Um, as far as M is concerned, M 
you may very well be in my top three fangirls ever. Uh, very insightful insights. <laughs> Could that have been any more repetition? Um, very insightful. Um, very uh, eloquent in the way that you spoke. Um, you've got a you've got a new fan. Um, with respect to the contest, uh, I believe the anti-spam word was dilithium. Pretty sure. And the first captain of the Enterprise is, is uh, was uh, Robert April. So, uh, and when Palisades did the action figure of Robert April, um, come on, Tom. I, I, not when Palisades did that. It was spoken of that if anyone were to be sculpted as Robert April, it should be Gene Roddenberry. So that would have been interesting. Um, Palisades actually did a figure of Roddenberry, and I think people were playing around with the idea of using the head sculpt to do a custom uh, Captain April figure. So, well, guys, this is Tom making the trek down 75, signing out. Take care. Bye. I love the end there. Thanks, Tom, for calling in. Uh, He gave some really good information that I thought. First of all, I want to actually talk about the last thing he talked about. Uh, which was the contest. He he actually called in for the contest. Mm-hmm. Tom, unfortunately, you did not win the contest. We had a bunch of people sign up. But he shares something that I thought was insightful, the fact that they made an action figure of Robert, of Gene Roddenberry, and they kind of toyed around with this being Robert April, right? Uh, did you hear that story? I didn't know that they were, as far as the action figure likeness, but there were, like, for publicity shots or something, there was a picture of Gene Roddenberry in a Starfleet uniform, and they kind of – it was never referenced on the original series, but in some, you know, Star Trek publications, it was, you know, basically Gene Roddenberry played Robert April, so to speak. Right. <laughs> right. So basically, basically that. Yeah. Uh, he enjoyed the film, but no suspense for him. Uh, he seemed to hint that the trailers gave a bit too much away. He's probably right, I think. Um, yeah, I, I, I unfortunately f- – if if you're following spoilers and um, they probably should have put less information in trailers. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, He also went on to say that didn't need a copy something to have a good movie. The rehashed dialogue, he kind of faulted Schilling kind of talks about that when we interview him a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I never heard this though. Nemesis being a ripoff of Khan. How, how so? Well, just the fact that you, your main bad guy um, is, has has a thing against our, our protagonist, which is Picard. And, I mean, different circumstances with the bad guy. The bad guy is a clone of Picard, but... Um, but, yeah, I, I, I could see there that, that maybe when they were writing Nemesis that they may have been inspired by Khan a little too much. Yeah, I, I could probably see that. It's been a while since I've seen Nemesis. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, don't know when I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> it's not high on my list to watch right now. But um, no, but I do, I do see his point, certainly, as far as um, just the, the ideas behind it. I can see where he's getting a little bit of that, and mm-hmm. uh, he probably has a better idea of how that all 
plays out. Um, and uh, M being one of his top three fangirls. There you go, M. There you go, M. Props mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. See, uh, we wish M, we, M. I don't think M's ever done a listener feedback show with us. We'll have to see if she well, can do well, it sometime. We'll make sure she does it. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Tom, again for uh, calling in and giving us your your thoughts on Star Trek or st- on Stid, Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, Lee wrote in. Do you want to talk about what Lee uh, wrote? Sure. So, so Lee says. Um, I had seen it in 2D as well and was was very satisfied with the movie. Plus, I would have to dr- drive further and had to pay much more for 3D. And you guys brought a lot of good points that the only way thing that I may disagree with with you as on the Klingons. I thought they were more punk rockers than Klingons. Oh, probably uh, probably some truth to that. Mm-hmm. Neil wrote in, Neil, who's been on the podcast with our friend shows, uh, uh, wrote in and said, I'm glad to hear the opinion. I did not miss anything seen in 2D. I agree that 3D is mainly just a revenue generator. Yeah. Well, 15 bucks a pop to, you know. Yeah, yeah there's some revenue being generated and yeah. certainly <laughs> that. Um, and this actually, I don't have in the notes, but Jen from New York called in and gave her thoughts of Star Trek Into Darkness. So let's hear what Jen had to say about Stid, and then we'll talk a little bit uh, uh, about what her comments here after. Hi guys, this is Jen from New York. I know I haven't called in in a while and I finally have a chance to do so. So uh just wanted to call in about the latest Star Trek movie. I saw it like the first week it came out. And overall, I thought they did a pretty good job with it. I mean, you know, sure, if I wanted to be like really nitpicky about it, you know, there were one or two things that I think they could have either done without or did better. I mean, considering I think everybody by now had seen it, so if I spoil anything, I mean, you could... Fast forward this if you don't want to hear. But uh, one of my little tidbit, you know, nitpicks were, uh, you know, the, actually in the beginning scene, and they were like, you know, running in the, in the, on the alien planet, and I'm like saying to myself, what the heck are they doing exactly, you know? And it looked like at first that they were like stealing something from primitive aliens, and I'm like going, okay, this is slightly off the whole... Uh, yeah, prime directive thing. I would, I would imagine so. And then, then after a while, and after they did their thing, and you know, they threw up the thing to save their skin. I'm like going, okay, you know, that's fine, whatever. But at least they t- did talk about it with the council and all that, and you know, and after you know, Kirk lost his like captain, you know, seat there. I'm like going, okay, at least they're like brought it up and they're talking about it, and it wasn't just like a. You know, kind of like, oh, we stole things from an alien, but, uh, you know, but that that was okay. You know, like I said, that was fine. And then throughout the movie, then, like, there was this one little tiny scene I think they could have done without, because I was thinking it was kind of stupid, and, you know, where, where they showed Carol Marcus, like, in her underwear. And I'm like, really, was that necessary? Um, like, I know a lot of other ladies had, like, complaints about, you know, that there wasn't enough, like, female influence in there. But, I mean, hey, you had your horror. I mean, at least she did have, like, you know, that she can speak Klingonese. So, I mean, at least she did her thing there. And as for the bad guy, I'm like, all I kept thinking it was funny. I'm like, because I really always was hoping that it wasn't going to be turn out to be a con. You know, I was hoping that it wouldn't be, like, some other character, maybe new character that they could fight against. But, and and even, even in the movie, I'm like, there was twice, two moments where they kept about to say his name. And I kept saying, don't say it! Don't say his name. I don't want to hear it. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> you know, because to me, Ricardo Montalban will always be con. I mean, Star Trek Two is one of my favorite all-time Star Trek movies. I mean, I still I still get clumped at the end with Kirk and Spock in that moment. 
And even at that moment in this movie, I was going, okay, you know, where are they going to go with this? I'm sort of like going, okay. I'm like, were they going to have a Star Trek 3? I was like, because it looked like, you know, I wasn't sure at first that they were actually going to, I mean, this is going to be a spoiler. Okay, I'm, I'm going to say it, talk about it. So I'm like saying, that, you know, I, I was amazed that they like kill Kirk. I'm like going, okay. I'm like, instead of search for Spock, it was going to be search for Kirk. <laughs> I just thought it was kind of funny. And I'm like, going, okay, so they do their own kind of twists and turns in this like alternate. But I like the fact that they talk about the fact that it is an alternate universe still. And it didn't just like blur over that and forget about it from the first movie. So I like that part of it. You know, they even talk to, to Leonard Nimoy and Spock again, and he's even telling them, like, I could tell you what happened in the original, you know, timeline, but things could ultimately, like, change in this one, so things would be totally different. So I like the way how they did it. They explained that part. That was cool. And uh, also, then, because then, I kept saying to myself, okay, I mean, you know, since they did this whole different twist on the take at the end part where, you know, it was Spock that was dying and, you know, he says, the needs of many outweigh the needs of few. The one I'll always be your friend. Yeah, you know, yada yada. And so, but then I like the way how they even showed Tribbles in this movie too. And I was like going, okay, that's how they're going to, okay. I just thought that I, I might guys say good. Okay. There you go. It's <laughs> just I thought that was, like, really funny. I'm like, not that it was funny, funny. I mean, there were two moments in the movie that was really kind of like, mm, they actually went there, especially, like, killing uh, Peter Weller's character there. You know, without the, they didn't exactly show the guy squishing his head, you know. But it's like, oh, ooh, just the thought of it. Okay, I didn't need to see that. And there was another moment which I kind of forgot about that was kind of like, you know, mm, there. But, uh... <laughs> I, I hope you guys are enjoying this little, like, critic's corner here. But, uh, you know, overall, like I said, I'm like, I thought they did a good job. And I hope they made enough money that they'll have another one. So, because I see now that, you know, even this weekend, I didn't get, I, I, like, I haven't even seen any of the Fast and Furious movies. And, and this was at the top of the box office this weekend. I'm like, really? I'm like, this is what everybody goes to see? So thanks, Jen, for calling in uh, about Star Trek Into Darkness and a little bit about whether you're going to see After Earth. We're actually going to stop. I actually stopped her voicemail there because what she says about After Earth actually segues really nicely into Jim Arrowwood's voicemail we're going to hear next because he went and saw After Earth and loved it. Okay. So we're going to hear his thoughts on it. But before we get there, what did you think about what Jim was saying regarding uh, Stid? I, I think her criticisms probably echo... A lot of what other people' criticisms are. If you liked or didn't like the movie, um, the infamous Carol Marcus underwear scene. Yeah, I mean that. You know, she did mention something. I don't recall us talking about the fact that the crew of the Enterprise seems to be thieving a map or some sort of uh, painting from this indigenous organization. They're running through the woods, right? And then they hang it up and that stops the chase uh, the, the fact that they're stealing something seems in violation of the prime directive as well 
Yeah, well, the whole the whole the whole mission is a violation of Prime Directive. I mean, if they're going <laughs> to obey it, I mean, they would have just let the volcano erupt and um, wipe these people out. That right. would have been complying with it, the Prime Directive. I, so, uh, I mean, explain. I mean, Kirk by Kirk stealing this this scroll, he. Um, got the people to follow him so they're getting away from the volcano. So he's actually helping them. He's not actually trying to steal the artifact. He's not trying to steal anything. Yeah. So I mean he he hang up he hung up back up because that you see this scene where they they see their 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 sacred scroll and they bow down to it. You know, prior to the Tribble being revived, you know, if if they did if they did kill off Kirk, then we would have, you know, then we'd have Star Trek Three: The Search for Kirk, and it yeah. actually has a ring to it. I like the sound of that a little bit. I'm glad we aren't having that movie. I am saying, glad too. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, mm-hmm. The Search for Kirk actually has a, uh, mm-hmm. a better, you know, better than The Search for Spock. I mean, I, it has a little bit of a ring to it there. Mm-hmm. And she was worried about it making enough money. I think, as we discussed, as we'll be discussing in the main show, you'll see that uh, I think currently the Star Trek 2009 movie made uh, 380 million dollars, and uh, Star Trek Into Darkness did made 330 million so Mm -hmm. enough movies certainly to move it into making a third movie a movie that Mm -hmm. it did cost him a little bit more to make stead right uh you know 190 million Mm -hmm. plus whatever marketing most expensive star trek movie ever but but it's made over 100 million uh, dollars for him they're gonna be making another star trek in yeah uh, movie we haven't even talked about blu-ray and dvd sales yet no no and not Mm -hmm. included in that at all and people Mm -hmm. you know people are going to be buying this movie sure uh i will probably own a copy of the movie i don't own many movies anymore, mm-hmm. but this is one movie that I'll probably. I'll own. put this on my Christmas wish list. Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be there. It'll mm-hmm. be there. So uh, thanks, Jen, again for calling in and giving us your thoughts uh, about Star Trek Into Darkness. Why don't we go ahead and so we talked about Jim Kalis called in and gave us his thoughts about seeing After Earth. After Earth has not done well. I was worried about this. Mm-hmm. When I began to see all the hype and all the promo and how they really were trying to oversell this movie, yeah. I was worried. Mm-hmm. And I was worried for a while about this. It just didn't seem to have the cast backing it that you would want to see in a summer blockbuster. Yeah. And this movie had to lose money for them. Had to. I'm going to look it up as we listen to Jim Arrowwood's commentary to give you some feedback on it. But this movie did not do well. Hmm. Um, at least I don't think so, unless I'm totally... Unfair. I I I have not heard, as far as box office success, it, it, you're right. It, it, I don't think it did well. But yeah. let, let's hear what Jim Arrowwood had to say about uh, After Earth. Greetings, gentlemen. I recently went to the theater and saw After Earth, starring Jaden and Will Smith. So I thought I would present a brief review. I did enjoy this film. It isn't the best movie ever made, and there are many that would say it may be among the worst. I understand that it is getting panned to death. Many of the negative reviews would seem to be for about two reasons. One is because of Jaden Smith, and the other is because of a lot of hate for the film's director, M. Night Shyamalan. It's really too bad, though, because it isn't a bad film. Basically, the story is quite predictable. A ship crashes on a ruined earth carrying a father and a son. And there is also a beast on board that has been genetically engineered to kill humans without prejudice. Before the ship crashes, it breaks in two, and the only means of contacting rescue is in the part of the ship that is very far away on a hostile planet. The entire crew is dead except for the father and son, and the father is injured and so they must rely on the youngster to get to the other half of the ship to send a message for help. 
the son encounters numerous obstacles along the way, overcomes them, and is triumphant in saving himself as well as his father, a story that has been told several times in many ways. So while the story is predictable and has nothing due to offer, it is not to say that After Earth is devoid of entertainment value. This was a fun film to watch for many reasons. First, I thought that Jaden Smith did a good job of selling his role as a kid who faces a rite of passage, not wanting to disappoint his father. Second, the scenery in this film is spectacular. The special effects are appropriate, they are good, but they don't get in the way of the story. And finally, the direction was good. I haven't really cared for Shyamalan's work in the past, but I think that After Earth shows that he understands the genre and I am looking forward to his work in the future, if there is any. I saw this film on opening day, but I think that it might be one that would be good to see in a discount house, or perhaps even just a rental. In my opinion, it's a good popcorn movie. I was fortunate that I had the opportunity to read the official prequel to this film, a book entitled After Earth, A Perfect Beast by Michael Jan Friedman, Robert Greenberger, and Peter David. I won't go deeply into the plot of the book, but I will say that reading the book gave me a lot of background information on numerous aspects presented in the film. While one doesn't have to read the book to enjoy the movie, I would highly recommend reading A Perfect Beast before seeing the film. Other than that, I'm reading Kim Stanley Robinson's Red Mars. I am looking forward to the return of Continuum and the Falling Skies, and I continue to enjoy Defiance. A movie I wasn't intending to see was Man of Steel, but the previews make this film look just too good to pass up, so I'll be seeing that when it is released. Oh, and just one more thing. I listened to the most recent Rewind show concerning The Fifth Element. I am not a fan of this film, but I must say that many of the points that Scott and Miles, as well as Rick from Wisconsin and M make me want to see this film again with your comments in mind. I especially appreciated M's philosophical analysis of Fifth Element. Well, there it is. This is Kalis Kapla. Thank you so much, Jim, for calling in and giving us your thoughts uh, about After Earth. Um, what do you think about what he had to say about After Earth? Yeah, um... I, I, I'm inclined to agree it's probably a good popcorn movie. It's something I want to see, but it's something I could put on the shelf until it comes out on rental. Yeah, and he's saying you may want to see this in a second-run house or they don't need to see this in the theater. So while he likes it, this is not a must-see movie for him or it doesn't seem to be that. Right. Um, you know, he did say that it would be good to read A Perfect Beast prior to going, so it sounds like understanding the background made this story come alive in a way that if he hadn't read it, mm-hmm. he may not have liked the movie, maybe even as much. So, you know, Robert Greenberger and, uh, and, and Peter David, Peter David. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there was mm-hmm. another one in there, you know, mm-hmm. these guys helped write this. Of course, guys that we all know help write the backstory to this mm-hmm. and that helped make the movie enjoyable for Jim. Yeah, so, uh, so he gave a nice plug for their books. Yeah, so Jaden Smith, he said, did a great job of acting. I know some people panned that. He thought the scenery was great. The special effects were not overwhelming, worked into the story, and uh, really showed that 
M. Night Shyamalan knows how to direct a movie, even though people don't always like what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So he did say that he's reading Red Mars, and uh, he's looking forward to continue, which, of course, came out. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, Man of Steel is kind of selling him. I admit the trailers look pretty good. Oh, I I, I, th- I think I'll probably end up seeing that in theaters. Uh, I'm pretty close to seeing that in theaters too, if I mm-hmm. have the time. When is that? That's out. That's out. It opens this week. Uh, this week. Yeah. This week. Yeah. Well, oh, Man of Steel. I might be there. Might be there. Listeners, if you go see Man of Steel, please let us know what you thought. One eight 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 five zero eight four three four three, and um, we'll kind of share your sh- thoughts in the next show. And Fifth Element. Another plug for uh, M here. They love M's philosophy. <laughs> M's philosophy. So M's. Getting, getting, a, get, getting, getting a lot of props here, Adam. Right, right. Um, but anyways, Jim, thank you so much for giving us your thoughts uh, about After Earth. Uh, Rick, he mentioned Rick from Wisconsin. He also called in. He was on the Fifth Element Show. He called in, and here is his thoughts about some of the things that he is watching. Let me put uh, Rick from Wisconsin on the speaker. Hey, this is Rick from Wisconsin calling, and on this call, I'm going to check in <clears throat> about some movies I've seen. I think it's been quite a while since I called and left a review. I can't remember if I called after seeing uh, Jack the Giant Slayer or Oz the uh, Great and Powerful, but uh, I liked both of those movies, and the more recent movies that we've seen, we saw Oblivion which I really liked. Uh, some elements were predictable for those of us that have seen some similar movies before, but it's hard to do something that's entirely original and hasn't been done before these days in sci-fi. And for me, it's how well you can pull it off. I thought the acting was great, the effects were great, and uh, the story held up good enough for me. Uh, a couple parts, you know, the ending was possibly the weakest. Uh, we were discussing that on the ride home and trying to figure out, you know, there's more clones out there. Are these others going to show up? Um, you know, what, what's going to happen with that? But uh, beyond that, we saw Iron Man 3 actually twice. Uh, saw it with friends and then saw it again with our uh, sons and, and my son. And then we saw... Uh, Star Trek Into Darkness twice. I saw it in 3D first, and then we went and saw it with friends uh, the following night, not in 3D. And uh, really liked what they did with Into Darkness. Uh, liked the slight differences, the, the things we picked up on that universe. Like in our universe, uh, the Tribbles weren't discovered until the Enterprise was on its mission, but in this universe, apparently they were already aware of triples. And uh, I actually considered for a moment that they were going to really let Kirk die and stay dead and was thinking uh, maybe they aren't going to franchise a whole bunch of these movies uh, and they, or maybe they'll change it or maybe they'll go to uh, jump ahead in their future and give us a, their version of the next generation or something. But uh, I I did like the callbacks to Wrath of Khan and uh, the certain lines and, and parallels within the movie and I uh, uh, thought a lot of the scenes were really good. I highly, highly recommend uh, virtually all of them. I would say Iron Man 3 was the weakest even though I did 
see it twice. Uh, it seemed more like a James Bond movie than a superhero movie uh, for a part of it. And uh, I, I did enjoy the, the big fight scene at the end, but um, it was probably the least of, of those recent films that I've seen. Thanks. Well, thanks, Rick from Wisconsin, for uh, calling in and giving us your thoughts on some of the movies that he's seen. Anything uh, about... Uh, Oblivion, Iron Man 3, Stid, uh, he said that kind of stuck out to you? Um, I guess he said something about Oblivion ha- having clones in it, so... That was new. I, again, I haven't watched Oblivion, obviously, so, yet. But I, I would like to see it, but now I you know, definitely want to see it more. Got a little bit there. Mm-hmm. said the ending was a bit weak, but he uh, really liked it, though, a bit predictable. Kind mm-hmm. of pulled it off. So pulled it off. Something to put on my list when it comes out. You know, he mentioned... Uh, the Tribbles not appearing to when they were actually on their five-year mission, and uh, here they have them here before, obviously, haven't been discovered. We don't know how Tribbles are discovered. They just kind of throw them in there. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, in the series, you know, Trials and Tribbles, it's, you know, it's it, it, at least for the crew of the Enterprise, it's their first introduction to Tribbles. So they obviously have been countered before. So who knows when... Somebody in the Federation or whoever first encountered the Tribbles. Yeah, that's a minor... Minor nitpick. Minor a nitpick. A nitpick nonetheless. Uh, nitpick yes. Nonetheless, but... Yeah, yeah. But they're there. Mm-hmm. And he liked Iron Man, saw it twice. Mm-hmm. So uh, giving it thumbs up. And what was the last movie he mentioned? Um, well, I think the last movie he did see was Star Trek Into oh, Darkness. Oh, Star Trek Into so, Darkness. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so liking, liking mm-hmm. it. Uh, Iron Man twice. You know, you know, he likes Iron Man. Let's let's hear from Colin. And I just want to say thanks again, Rick, for calling in. He, of course, did the Fifth Element Show, which if you haven't checked out, Jim mentioned it as well. Make mm-hmm. sure you do check it out. But uh, uh, Colin from Across the Pond called in with his Star Trek review. But before that, he also saw Iron Man 3. So why don't we hear what Colin, who is from the podcast Trek News and Views, right? Um, and, mm-hmm. um, and let's hear what he had to say about Iron Man 3. Hi, guys. It's Colin. Uh, I thought I sent in a, a few movie reviews so you might want to cut these in half the first one is for Iron Man 3 and the second one is for Star Trek Into Darkness so if you haven't seen it you might just want to play it and not listen so first of all Iron Man 3 now how to talk about Iron Man 3 it's got good points it's got bad points I mean if I was to label it on a 0 to 5 scale I'd probably give it a 3 very middle of the road um it started out with a real good premise. They were dealing with post-traumatic stress syndrome, anxiety and panic attacks, and they did it in a real good, sensitive way. And I was impressed with that because these are relevant issues, uh, especially nowadays with like, you know, the troops coming back from Afghanistan, both in America and in the UK. Um, and also in life in general, people have to deal with post-traumatic stress for a variety of reasons, as well as anxiety and panic attacks. What? got me about it was when it degenerated into a comedy prop. Now, I find that very distasteful. Um, you know, but from a personal point of view, I know people who suffer from these things and the effect it has on their lives and it debilitates their lives uh, to such an extent that it, it overtakes them. And to use it for cheap laughs, um, I found very distasteful. So I didn't like that aspect of it at all. Um, the child element entering the child into it again for comic effects yeah it was okay weren't brilliant uh, I can kind of see why they did it 
Um, but to me it was a bit cliched, uh, a bit 80s, so to speak. Um, I also found that, you know, the, the, the child without a father and Tony Stark um, growing up without a father, that comparison there, I suppose, was supposed to be putting across. But I, I found it very 80s, very cliched. Um, and then you've got the other good, the good points, you know, there's some funny moments like when Iron Man goes to the pub in his armour and parks it outside, and I think that brings a whole new level of uh, drink driving to the fore, you know, can you get done for drink driving when you're in an Iron Man costume, and actually you'll be drink flying, I suppose, but he wasn't drunk anyway, so that's neither here nor there, but I do think it's funny how he just parked it and went into the pub, so I find that aspect quite funny. Um, the Iron Man army at the end of the movie, when, it, when you see them all swooping and all fan out, that was that was a way moment for sure, um, and also showed the processing power of the computer because they was all computer controlled, um, and Jarvis was basically controlling every solitary one of them at the same time, apart from the one that Tony Stark jumped into and jumped down of, and so on and so forth. Um, I suppose the bad guy, Guy Pearce, he was he was great because Guy Pearce is actually the bad guy. Which also brings us to the Mandarin, because the Mandarin in the comic books is this powerful... Um, he's got the rings of power, which grants him all sorts of things. And admittedly, he did have the rings on, and I thought, any minute now he's going to start using them. But again, they turn it into a comic thing, and basically turn the Mandarin into a joke. Um, and then a cinema that we was in, quite a few people weren't very happy about that. <laughs> Because they can't, uh, in British cinemas as a rule, people watch the film and they're very, very quiet. It's very rare you get someone hooping and hollering and stuff like that in, in a British cinema. But in this one, um, when the Mandarin became a comic effect, a couple of people actually booed, which is quite un unreal. Um, although it was funny, I think, you know, you know, to the Mandarin, it's, you know, it's not what you expect. So, But there you go. Um, and as for Guy Pearce, he was a good villain. He was suitably many scene. He played the, the, the villain role very, very well. Uh, Extremist wasn't used how it was used in the comic books. So if people have read the comic books will know what Extremist is. In, in the movie, they used it in a kind of a different concept. But it was an interesting concept. And uh, Gwyneth, seeing Gwyneth Paltrow kicking ass at the end, well, you know, there's not every woman who can punch the hole through your chest and uh, take down your uh, costume in one go. So it's not really the sort of person we argue with when she asks you to do the dishes. So anyway, that's our main three. Again, I'd give it three out of five. So three out of five for him for mm -hmm. Iron Man 3. So not a huge review. Right. Uh, anything to stand out as far as what he was saying about... Yeah. Uh, basically, you know, he liked that they addressed the issue of post-traumatic stress syndrome, which... We don't see in our superheroes how that's dealt with often, um, but then it kind of laps into comedy, which I would agree. I I would. I'm trying to remember where that what was. It's, it's it, the movie. It's been out for over a month now. So, but he said laps into comedy. And I would agree if if, that, if it did that. It, it it is definitely that's not in that's not in good taste. So no, and especially with PTSD, with something that's pretty serious. Um, some parts he's saying is very cliches, although it does sound to be funny when you have Iron Man walking into a pub in a suit. Right. Mm -hmm. That seems to be kind of funny. And Jarvis rocking. Yes, I true. mean, it has to be a high-processing computer in that. My son and I are watching some of the Iron Man animated 92 series, and uh, oh, okay. uh, Jarvis is absolutely incredible, and so is the Mandarin. Mm -hmm. Love the Mandarin in that one. Mm -hmm. um, 
I like how you said in British cinema, people booed when they made the Mandarin a joke. Doesn't surprise me. I was kind of irked when I found out they made the Mandarin. Yeah, that was... And I didn't even see it. Mm -hmm. You saw it? I I did see it. We saw it in theaters, yeah. yeah. Uh, Was anyone reacting when people, when that happened? No, not really. I was, I, I... People were people were laughing at Ben Kingsley when he started pulling the comedy bit, and so, um, yeah, I guess I, maybe I was in a crowd where they were not as familiar with the comics, but, um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, thanks, Colin, for calling in and letting us know your thoughts on Iron Man. Three. Uh, let's move into some other listener feedback. We're going to switch out of movies here. Actually, we have one other um, one other person that wrote in. And I just want to read this. This is from uh, Cape Cod Scott, mm-hmm. who says, "Hi, Scott and Miles. Love your show. Lots of great stuff to watch in TV and movies right now. We loved Oblivion, Iron Man, Three, Star Trek, and can't wait for Man of Steel, Thor, and maybe After Earth. We'll see if he actually liked After Earth after the way it got panned. Oh yeah. Um, huh. Awesome TV lately has been Arrow, Defiance, Person of Interest, where House 13, Revolution, Continuum, and probably more. I forgot the list. Until next time, Tonner Miles P. McLaughlin and Edward R. Murrow. Good night and good luck. <laughs> Cape Cod Scott. So these are some brief things. He's watching a lot of stuff that we mentioned here. We haven't talked about Person of Interest lately, and um, I really wish I was watching it and I'm not. That's, that's because you can't get, get that's it That's because your... I can't get it, and uh, I'm unwilling to buy it, and mm-hmm. I guess I'll rent the DVDs when they come out. Okay. Because that's the way I watched season one. So when they mm-hmm. come out, season two... I will be watching that. Mm-hmm. We should move into some TV news. We've been talking a lot about movies, but let's move into some TV, not really news, but some reviews. We had a Once Upon a Time finale wrap up. Mm-hmm. The wrap up, they had the finale for Once Upon a Time, and we actually had a bunch of finales and a bunch of shows start up. Right. Let's start with some of the finales first. Mm-hmm. And um, Raul called in and gave us his review of what he thought about Once Upon a Time. This is a show I really felt that I should have been watching from the way people have been talking about it, and I just didn't make time this season to rent mm-hmm. it, watch it. Maybe in DVDs, but I Watched season one religiously, and this is not one I watched. Okay. But uh, let's hear what Raul has to say about uh, Once Upon a Time, the season finale. Hi, Scott. This is Raul, and you'd asked for my thoughts on Once Upon a Time, so here they are. This is actually going to be the short form. If you want the long version, I would strongly suggest following up on uh, my blog, www.thechristiangeek.net. There's no way I can put my entire set of comments into a voicemail. That said, you know, I'll be honest. I actually had some serious doubts about the season. Much of that was connected to the sheer number of story arcs that the writers were trying to juggle all at once. And I'll be honest, I really haven't seen a show put so many threads in play at the same time. Basically, Kitsis and Horowitz had a season planned where the success or failure of the entire season rested in how well they pulled off this finale. In my opinion, they succeeded, and they succeeded hugely. Not only did they pull all of the necessary plot elements together, there's still some unanswered questions, of course. But they gave a very important sense of closure for the season. And they left a lot of critical elements set up for season three. I was overall rather impressed. Now, I did pretty good with my predictions. 
in some ways that wasn't too hard to do. There were a lot of predictable elements to this episode. Now, I've argued many times predictable is not necessarily a bad thing, but it makes it much more difficult to pull the execution off beautifully and elegantly. And I think they did that in this case. Uh, Some of my theories that turned out to be spot on, and maybe not 100% in the small details, but as far as the big themes, the Diamond of Doom was definitely used. We saw Belle get her memories back at the very end, and it looks like that's a good setup for parts of the next season. I was sort of right on whether or not the beans would be used to evacuate Storybrooke uh, with Hook coming back and his offer. Problem is, that really didn't prove necessary. Uh, Storybrooke did suffer devastation like I thought it would, but disabling the failsafe largely undid a lot of that damage. Book of Spells was back in use and in play. Again, not as I had originally thought, but Mulan and Aurora came back into the story. And thank God, Neil is not Peter Pan. Now, my predictions on the coming war, then, you know, which was prophesied in the very first episode, and the connections to the land without color were not really addressed, and I'll come back to those in a bit. I think the biggest part of this season, of course, involved Regina and the whole quest for repentance and redemption. You know, if you gave a one-word summary to the theme of season one, I'd call it belief. Uh, The one word for season two would be repentance. And we saw that first theme in Emma's journey through disbelief into believing in magic. Then in this season, the repentance story is carried primarily by Regina. There were some secondary elements in that regard that fell to uh, Mr. Gold, but Regina really carried the weight of that theme. It started out with her trying to do good simply for Henry's approval. And of course, that's really not enough for real repentance. As expected, she fell away from the good path under her mother's influence. And through the flashbacks of the season, we see not only Regina's inner desire to do what's right deep inside, but we see some of the delusions with which she's cloaked herself so she basically can't see the horror she's become. The repentance for someone that had done as much evil as we have seen out of Regina would really require something extraordinary. And I'll tell you what, we get this entire season summed up in the following line. You're not coming with us, are you? When you said goodbye to Henry, you were saying goodbye. He knows I love him, doesn't he? Regina, no, there's got to be another way. You're right, you know. Everything that's happening, it's my fault. I created this device. It's only fitting that it takes my life. What am I supposed to tell Henry? Tell him that in the end, it wasn't too late for me to do the right thing. Everyone looks at me as the evil queen, including my son. Let me die as Regina. Now, Jesus teaches us that greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You know, at the end of the day, We know Regina truly has come around to true unconditional love because at that moment she is offering her life very literally 
unknown, alone, and in the dark so that people that hate her could live. And she's doing it because it's the right thing to do. Now, that's the moment where she truly becomes the queen. And I'll tell you, it was probably the most powerful moment of the series for me. Now, I know this has gone long, but there is one additional thing I would like to mention, and that is the nature of this coming war. As I said, one of my theories involves this coming war predicted in the very first episode. My belief is that this will be a war of magic versus science. And I've built this around the idea of who Greg and Tamara have been working for. My thought is this. What do you get when you suck all the magic out of a land? You get the land without color that Dr. Whale slash Dr. Frankenstein came from. Remember when Neil ended up with the Darling family and was carried away by the shadow, he had convinced Wendy that magic didn't belong in this world, that magic was bad. I see no reason why this home office has to be from our world, our London. That was a very long time ago, so I think this whole home office is something that grew up and out of this land without color. Yes, I know Neverland's going to be involved somehow since apparently they're pulling the strings behind Greg and Tomorrow, but still, this whole plot line with Whale, something that has been set up since season one, we still haven't seen carried through. And I think this is just more pieces in the puzzle and that this will be what we see. Basically, at some point, I fully expect to see the lamp post, I mean, home office next season and probably with an elderly Eloise, I mean, uh, Wendy Darling in charge. There it is. I know some people think I'm nuts, but we'll see. I think that's going to have to do it for now. This has been a very long uh, voicemail. Again, if you want to see my full thoughts, my full review and analysis, uh, check out what I wrote over at www.thechristiangeek.net. And I'll make sure I get a link posted to the Facebook page. Thanks, guys, and keep up the wonderful job. Bye-bye. Raul, thank you so much for calling in and giving us your review of the finale for Once Upon a Time. Before we listen to or talk about his comments, Miles, mm-hmm. Wayne Henderson also called in with a review of the finale. We might also just play them back to back and then talk about them as a whole. Okay. Does that work for you? Sounds good. Hey, Scott and Miles, Wayne Henderson here, the voice of the Once Upon a Time fan podcast, calling in for the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Wanted to talk a little bit about Once Upon a Time in the excellent season two finale. I really enjoy this show. It's the most like Lost TV show that's out there, which is, of course, Lost, my favorite show all time. But you already knew that. Once Upon a Time, they uh, did some great stuff in the finale. People are being split up. People are going to Neverland in different times. And it's going to be interesting in season three, now that there is officially going to be a season three of Once Upon a Time. It's going to be interesting to see how the people come back together. And is Regina really turned to good now? Has uh, Captain Hook and Mr. Gold, have they really got a truce going on? They're really not going to try to kill each other anymore. That alone is interesting. But now we've introduced Peter Pan. Um, Everything about the finale was excellent, except for the 
cheesy special effects. ABC needs to up a little more money here. I know they're filming up in Canada to save a little bit of money there, but, you know, they've got to up the budget on the special effects. (laughs) They really, really do. Otherwise, excellent show. I love Once Upon a Time. It's my favorite show on TV right now. Just thought I'd share that with you because I heard on the recent episode of the of the uh, Sci-Fi Diner that uh, you were calling me and Raul out and you wanted our thoughts. So here's mine. Thank you, Wayne, for uh, sharing that because we obviously are not watching uh, Once Upon a Time, so it was good to hear their thoughts about the finale. Sure. Yeah, yeah. A um, couple things. Uh, Wayne's talking about the special effects being cheesy. We kind of mentioned that about the defiance as well. Mm-hmm. The effects, sometimes budgets don't allow it, and if the story's good enough, we kind of can overlook that a little bit. We could be forgiving. Yeah, a little bit. Um, he questions, it sounds like Raul's pretty convinced that Regina has changed from being the evil queen to just the queen. Her laying down her life for Henry is a pretty big deal. It's kind of this Jesus moment for her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but Wayne questions, is this really sincere or is it, can she really change? Interesting. I mean, can the evil queen really change, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and a um, little bit of a mentioning there of magic versus science by Raul. That sounds kind of interesting. That's been played about in sci-fi. Oh, yeah. Anything that they said that kind of stuck out to you? Not really. I'm not following the show, so I I, I, uh, I think I'll just let their comments speak for themselves. I think it's interesting that they're pulling... They pull in this story... It's called Storybrook, uh, but they're pulling in... Peter Pan this season, which I don't recall them doing the first season, so that's kind of interesting in the fact that Mr. Gold, which of course is played by uh, Robert Carlyle from uh, Stargate Universe, he was okay. a mad scientist there, mm-hmm. does an incredible job. In, in season one, he did an incredible job, I imagine he's still doing the incredible job that he always does mm-hmm. in this one, and and uh, Captain Hook kind of squaring off, it sounds like. Hmm. So... So, um, so Rumpel Silskin basically, and uh, right. and Captain Hook squaring off. Interesting. <laughs> so it'd be interesting, kind of a play in that. Um, but Raul is again. If you're interested in more thoughts about this, you can check out Raul's site. He mentioned it, and you can go back and listen to it if you want to. Well, I'll put I'll put in the show notes, or I'll try to. Um, and Wayne, you can always check out his new podcast under the dome and what's going on in Wayne's world. So no related, no relation to the movie. Um, <laughs> the Saturday Live. Yeah, that's right. True. Um, we are are running low on time, but I do want to talk about one other finale. We'll, we can talk about Warehouse 13 next time because that's still on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can talk about Game of Thrones. We probably should talk about Game of Thrones, but let's not. We'll, we'll get to that uh, another time. Uh, and a lot of the stuff's on the Facebook fan page. But I do want to talk about the Arrow finale. Oh, yeah. Because here is my opinion, Miles, and listeners, you can disagree with me. But the Arrow finale was hands down the best finale I've seen in years. Hmm. What do you think of that statement? Um, bold statement. I know it's a bold statement. But as far as season finales go, I mean, they, they, I think they left you wanting more. Yeah. Well, here's why. Mm-hmm. First of all, it had some real kick-ass action. And resolution. Yeah, and resolution. Mm-hmm. It had times that kind of made you tear up a little bit. Oh, sure. There was some tear-jerking moment. Awesome backstory, awesome reveals, and death that actually impacted the series forward. Sure. So all these things combined, for me, made the made the Arrow season finale the best finale I've, I've seen hands down in the past couple of years. Hmm. Um, and so for me... 
It was uh, we said before that Arrow has been the, the probably the most surprising hit this past year for us, um, and for me, this comes down as being one of the best finales. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what did you think of the finale? Oh, I enjoyed it immensely. Um, you know, we we like you said. I mean, there's deaths with meaning that will impact the series moving forward. Um, the deaths that we're talking about. Um, I guess in the comic book series, the, the, the Tommy character, he, he lives on the comic series. So they had, the, the writers had to do something to kind of throw us all for a loop. If, if, if we, if we follow the comic book series, we had to, you know, so they can kind of just change things up a little bit. So they had, they had, they had to do that. Um, and, um, we see all kinds of stuff hitting the fan. Um, uh, um, Let's see. Uh, Ollie's mother's uh, husband files for divorce, right? Um, and um, we we see a showdown between um, Arrow and the Dark Dark Arrow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not sure. We'll see. We'll be, I'm not sure what the relationship between Ollie and uh, Laura will be when it comes back because he's got some explaining to where was he when when the um, when the bomb went off and, you know, it uh, impacted the series or redundancy in the bomb. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just a lot of good things mm-hmm. about the way this ended up. Mm-hmm. So, so if you have not watched arrow, I encourage you to go get arrow, rent it when it comes out on DVD, watch it next season is probably one of my favorite season series this past season. It's, it's mine too. I mean, I, I love they go back five years ago when he's on the Island and, you see him where well, it he ties in. It ties in, but you see where the person he was before he he comes back to you know his, his to when he you know he becomes the person that you you see you see when he comes back to uh, Starling City. Yeah. Well, uh, we got a uh, so uh, we got a, a letter in through the email. A letter. It's not. Really, I got an email in. I should just say, and uh, this is from. Uh, Ren Merchant, who said that we pronounced his name correctly because we had spoken about him on two podcasts ago about in the listener feedback show. He said, hey, guys, you pronounced my name correctly. You're fast becoming one of my favorite podcasts, mainly due to your casual conversation style. It's very relaxing. Keep it up. There is an Atlas Shrugged 2, because remember I'd watched Atlas Shrugged 1 right. and I kind of liked it. Uh, but he said, I've not seen it, and it got very bad reviews. I think it was released mid-2012. I do remember liking the first one. It's a poster child for why the government needs to stay out of big business. Hmm. All right? Uh, I was able to see Star Trek, or Stid, Into Darkness, this past weekend in IMAX 3D, of course. Don't care for the 3B, but didn't have the standard IMAX choice. I had a good time watching the movie and love the little throwback references that only Trek fans would get. The thing that surprised me the most was how much I thought Chris Pine's performance was like the young William Shatner. All his exaggerated facial expressions included. Carl Urban as Bones always turns in a completely enjoyable performance. Don't tell my Trek friends, but I may enjoy him more than DeForest. I'm sure we just told your Trek fans, sorry, <laughs> I've read that. Uh, I'm sure that some will whine and cry about the story, but I had a blast watching it, and you should too. Here's a book suggestion for you, Earth Unaware by Orson Scott Card. I picked this up in an airport on a business trip. Having read all the Ender series, I was surprised I had not heard about this book. In a nutshell, if you like the Ender books, you will like this one too. I blew through 450 pages in about eight hours, which is fast for me. It was an easy read and as a prequel for, and as a prequel, it was new and interesting. Thanks again. Keep up the good work, Ren Merchant. 
I dialogued with him, by the way, and this Earth Unaware is a prequel to the Ender series. Okay. So he's kind of setting us up for the Ender's game movie we're going to be getting mm-hmm. either later this year or next year. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's liking Star Trek. He said DeForest, he likes it better than DeForest's performance. What do you think of that? Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily go that far. I would definitely say, I mean, I, I, I think Carl Urban's McCoy is very enjoyable. Um, and and this has been said before, but he, he basically channeled DeForest Kelly when he performed that role. So yeah. I, I, I hate to say who is better or who I like better. I, 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 you know, I really like them both. It's just that we have only two movies with Urban as McCoy yeah. so far. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um we had another uh, person write in. Derek wrote in, and uh, again, thanks, Ren, for writing in. But Derek wrote in and said this, Great podcast. I just finished watching Star Trek Into Darkness. Loved it. Tried my best to remain spoiler-free, and it paid off. Lots of surprises. Anyway, I have a question for you guys. Who did the music at the end of this podcast? It's pretty damn good, and I'd like to listen to more. Thanks in advance. And I did email him and let him know this, but for those, the rest of you that might be wondering, the music is by Triad, and the song is simply this. Okay. That's the title of the song, mm-hmm. this. So, um, and one last uh, email before we wrap up the show here. Omar Bradley, he was a guy behind the whole Trek debit cards okay. that we talked about. Mm-hmm. He said, holy smokes, I thought I was a sci-fi buff, but your collective knowledge of sci-fi was remarkable. How do you guys get time to check all the stuff out? Well, if he thinks we're good, he should think he should check out Kevin Batchelder. That's what I'm saying. He watches yeah. everything that's out there. Yeah. Anyways, thank you so much for the mention. I heard you pump our stuff right up for the 10 biggest missed opportunities in Star Trek. Solid points in Voyager, how that ship kept looking pristine and was inexplicable. And I was all smiles. You know, any other good sci-fi guys who might be interested, please send them my way. I'll be listening to your show in the meantime. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, thanks, Omar, for for doing that. Mm -hmm. And uh, literally, we are out of time. I have five minutes left in the hard disk, so we should be wrapping up this show. Okay. And so if you are watching Man of Steel, let us know. If you are watching Defiance, if you're watching Warehouse, if you're watching Falling Skies, call in and let us know what you are thinking of these movies. And if you want to get your two cents in regarding Stid, just call in and let us know. one 508 4343 Miles, that about does it for me. Let's wrap up and get out of here. All right. Till next time, good night and good luck. We will see ya. Thank you so much for visiting the Sci-Fi Diner. We hope you enjoyed the food and the service and the conversations. If you'd like to share your thoughts regarding what we've talked about, or tell us what you're watching or reading, flip open your communicators and contact us at 1-888-508-4343. Or click the SpeakPipe link at scifidinerpodcast.com. Or send an mp3 or typed email to sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com you can also join the conversation on our facebook fan page at facebook.com slash sci-fi diner we'll share your thoughts on our listener feedback show if you'd like to support the diner beyond the conversation you can always throw some coins in the tip jar at sci-fi diner podcast.com